the worst thing that I worry about and that happens to me not infrequently is that question of do I want to be a doctor and I think that comes up that feels like the easy out right when you're feeling like this you start to think is this for me is this career for me and what a horrible what a shame it would be to lose you to lose beautiful doctors doctor humans who are exactly what patients need because of this tension we have between our own abilities and the system and something that created a bad day. Hello, my beautiful friends. My name is Dr. Beck. And I am Christine Barker. And this is Am I Doing It Wrong? A podcast for doctors by doctors. Dr. Beck is a mindset coach and medical doctor who specializes in liberating driven professional women from the limitations of perfectionism, imposter syndrome, and people pleasing. She's basically the cheat code for getting out of your own way, showing up authentic and living a life you're proud of. And Christine is a medical educator and nephrologist who creates resources for doctors in training that I truly think are an unfair advantage. She makes complex topics super simple and takes the pain and uncertainty out of passing your medical exams. Christine and I connected a few years ago via our online platforms and over the years we've discussed countless highs, lows and in-betweens of doctor life. And in doing so, we've experienced firsthand the power of vulnerable conversations to show us where we get in our own way and underestimating our capacity. So we want you to be part of the conversation and experience these same results. Every week on the pod, we'll be bringing you conversations which shine light in dark places, normalize the doctor journey, ease unnecessary suffering, and give you actionable steps to thrive in all facets of your life. So grab a cuppa and get cozy for this week's episode of Am I Doing It Wrong? The podcast for doctors by doctors. Hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to the podcast. We're so happy you're here with us for another week. So today, Christine's going to start us off with a very relatable story to help us dive into this concept of why clinical work is so exhausting. And this is such an obvious um, contrast for me because I do I do different types of work at different times in my life, and I do. Um, periods of contracts in the hospital with my locum work, which means that I have periods where I do a lot of clinical work and then I do no clinical work. And I notice such a difference in the way that I feel at the end of the day after doing a clinical day versus doing other work or, of course, having a gorgeous, beautiful day off. So we thought it would be so helpful to dive into what we perceive are the differences and the drivers of this um, this change in how clinical work seems to affect us as people. And Christine is going to give us a bit of a super relatable day that we give some great examples throughout the day of all these little things that happen, all this, all these bits of work that doctors do in their heads and behind the scenes when they're dealing with patients. So I need to tell you guys about my day yesterday and I'm super keen to unpack this with you Beck, because I know that you're going to tease out all of the the ways in which I'm getting in my own way and the ways I can get out of my own way as well but I'm just going to be honest this is super raw but this was my true yesterday it was a bit of a time so I get into work and I am happy to be there I am on fire I would describe myself as being in alignment right I'm bouncy I'm my happiest self I was doing a bit of work on my business beforehand I did a rehearsal of my slides that I was working on for something I did today I was loving life and I did my first clinic which I got through not too bad not so not so tired after that was fine went for lunch 
did my second clinic. Now, in the middle of the second clinic, everything fell apart inside. Like, obviously, I did the clinic, survived the clinic, sorted the patients out. But in the middle of this clinic, I was just like dying inside. And so what had happened was the clinic in the afternoon is a particularly tricky clinic in that the patients who come are very sick. So they have very low GFRs and they're coming for kind of discussions about what that means for them and that kind of thing. And I was the only provider in the clinic. The registrar had something going on upstairs, probably something important, like a transplant or something. And so I'm by myself in this clinic. But the because they, they knew ahead of time I was going to be by myself, the admin team, well-meaningly, had arranged this little list for me so that the patients were not coming all at once, which was what happened last week. <laughs> so we were slightly better than last week. They weren't all sitting there all first on the list. That was very challenging. But they came one after the other, but there were only 15-minute appointments. Now, the type of consultations that were necessary for these people like you're dreaming, right? You're dreaming with 50 minutes. So by the time I finished my second patient, I am well and truly behind. I'm behind and I hate it when I'm behind. I hate making people wait for me. It's just something I can't stand, right? It just makes me upset inside. So then I go out to the waiting room and I see there's like three people waiting on me and I think, well, I need to speed up, right? I need to speed up, except... I can't speed up because there's people with GFRs of 12 and we don't know why. And it's not something you can speed through. Or the classic one, um, I went to speed up and the next patient seemed straightforward enough on paper. And of course, needed an interpreter. And the interpreter was a phone interpreter and took a while to connect and then couldn't understand a word I was saying. Hashtag Scottish accent. I don't know. So it was just, <laughs> it was not going in my favor. So I think by the, by the time I saw my last patient, they had waited well an hour after their scheduled appointment. And that might seem normal to some people, but it was kind of unnecessary. Like it was just, it just made me feel like I was failing throughout the whole clinic. Now I probably wasn't failing. I was probably doing a great job and I wasn't actually speeding up more than was appropriate for the clinical situation at hand. But I guess it just felt bad. And then when I left the hospital, I... I had noticed that I'd come in in the morning, super high vibe, and I left like a shell of myself. And I, I'm not even exaggerating when I say that. My light was dim. <laughs> I was like, I was dragging myself home. I was kind of, I was just, I didn't have anything for anyone. I came in, blobbed on the couch, and then I decided to journal and try and figure out why I was feeling so bad still. Like clinics now, several hours ago, and I have not recovered. And I guess the concern is that this is happening quite a lot for me at the moment. And I feel like I don't want to go to clinic. And that sets up like a pathway where I'm I'm not loving my clinical work. And that is not who I want to be. I want to go into work looking forward to seeing my patients. So I was trying to figure this out. And what I came up with, Beck, and I'm super interested to see what else you come up with. But I realized that when I really looked at it, it's not that I don't want to do medicine. It's not that I don't want to be a doctor. I just don't think that that clinic was designed for the clinical need. Like these 15 minute appointments were <laughs> never going to be 15 minute appointments. And I'm holding myself to this impossible standard, feeling like I'm failing, and then easily arrive at the conclusion that I don't want to do clinic anymore, <laughs> which is a real shame when you've done all that training and you're a specialist in clinics, basically my job. So I guess I wanted to, yeah, I've been talking for quite some time, but I felt like it was important to talk 
through the whole day as it was and where I arrived last night. And then obviously I was texting you about this last night being like, oh, I think I've had a breakthrough. But what do you think about that, Beck? And obviously keen to hear your own experiences of why you find clinical work so exhausting. Okay, so firstly, I'd like to... Firstly, I think we're just giving a big like holla to all of, I mean, so many doctors right now, but in particular, I'm just thinking of our GP colleagues who have these short appointments, These at least these expectations, right, of having these very short appointments. And I just think about how they can't necessarily even like filter in for a certain type of patient in a certain type of clinic. Like they just take all of this uncertainty whatever walks in the door, whoever walks in the door. And it's sort of like a brand new page. Not that each patient isn't already a brand new page because they, even with the same um, category of problem, they have all these unique problems with them. But gosh, I'm just thinking about the amount of um, the, the, the cognitive journey you go on on a day between like going through all these different types of patient problems, different types of presentations. But that's what was really coming out of your story. It just felt so chaotic. I was listening to that story and I was feeling in one way drained. And then another way I was feeling quite chaotic with all of the changes and all of the uncertainty and sitting here, listening to your experience, noticing how just empathizing with you is having that emotional effect on me. I'm already starting to gleam how it's so unsurprising that clinical work can affect us in this way. You walked in and no more than five hours later, I'd imagine you walk out feeling like a completely different person. And for, for all intents and purposes, you've essentially sat at a desk the whole time, right? It's quite striking that we could have such a massive energy change. And for any of, any of you who have experienced this, it's not, it, it is, it feels like a very physical, unarguable effect on you it feels like your physiology has been affected and it feels like you could have spent the day running a marathon or perhaps you've worked for 12 days straight you're getting flashbacks to your registrar days that exhaustion in your body is so so real isn't it despite the fact that five hours earlier you were feeling bouncy even you said so one thing I think that all doctors experience that we that all humans find really difficult is this uncertainty. And you've just highlighted all of the uncertainty that comes with just the structure of a clinical day. For you, you didn't even know as you're walking into a clinic what, what the structure of your, how the structure of your clinic is going to be set up. Like these 15-minute appointments clearly weren't run by you <laughs> for these types of patients, right? And so there's uncertainty on that level. There's another level of uncertainty where you expected to have your registrar with you. And then because of the uncertain work that we do, they weren't available. There's another, another level of uncertainty where you have patients with extra logistical needs. You were having that moment, you were like, okay, I've really got to speed up. And you sounded determined, I'm going to speed up. And then another logistical obstacle came back, came up you needed an interpreter, a phone interpreter who then wasn't able to even pick up on time. So just in the structure of a clinical day, there is so much uncertainty. And if you think about how challenging it is for your mind to manage uncertainty and how much humans 
crave certainty, how much we latch on to and attach certainty. And then the little sort of heartbreaks that happen when things don't go to plan, those little, little jabs. And think about how much mental and therefore emotional and therefore physical energy that takes. Okay, now we haven't even gotten into the next we'll get into the actual clinical work, the actual cognitive processes, the intellectual processes that doctors have to go through with their clinical work. But I just wanted to um, circle back to you on that, Christine. I mean, is that is that logistical uncertainty? Do you think that's something that does play into your well, what takes so much energy from you? Oh, when you say it like that and you outline it like that, I see all that uncertainty. I don't think if you'd asked me before you'd said all that, I would have thought, oh, no, I don't think it was uncertainty. I knew what clinic was about. And I feel experienced enough now that I can handle most things. Not obviously there's things that, you know, you still have to look up. Everyone does. But um, I, I feel confident in like the clinics I go to that I have enough. So it's interesting that I didn't think that before you said it, but you're right on that kind of, everyone else as a player on the chessboard and what moves they're going to make you have no idea like you don't know if you're calling and people you know it happens all the time you have a sick colleague and you'll have to see more patients or whatever happens there it's it happens to everyone and even that's outpatients but of course inpatients as well there's always uncertainty you're like I'm going to do a ward round and then one person will have a mate call and you'll stay with them for three hours and like it happens right the uncertainty I think you make a really great point with that and then there's the uncertainty of the actual clinical decisions that you're making on a moment to moment basis. Like I would love to have a crystal ball <laughs> and I'm talking about even for the most simple decisions. Like for example, I had a patient, uh, I think it was yesterday actually. And they had, they have had, when I've tried to give them tablets before they have side effects. And so I needed to give them a tablet. I needed to change the medications for something as simple as blood pressure. But in my head, I'm going, I'm trying to pick the one that's not going to give them a side effect because it's so important for their therapeutic relationship, for their interaction with healthcare in general. Like if they have a side effect, they unravel. It's it's like it's actually quite a big deal. And I'm and I'm obviously feeling like I don't want to cause them harm. So that's a tiny little example. There's obviously massive, bigger picture stuff that can you can be making decisions about. But even in the most simple consultations, there's still uncertainty because you don't have a crystal ball and every decision you make can be harmful or helpful, hopefully helpful, but it is something, and oh my goodness, can I just also appreciate GPs? Can you shout out to my GPs? Like not knowing what's coming in the door. I can't, I can't even. (laughs) No, I can't even, because now I've got a referral, you know, I've got some blood tests and a wee, there's usually some notes there. I can sort of like get my structure all sorted, know what I'm going to ask, know what I'm going to say. You're going and blind. Oh my goodness, that is actually very difficult. So yes, yes, absolutely agree with what you're saying. And what about you? Can I can I put that back to you with the uncertainty? How does that affect you, Beck? Yeah, definitely for me. I know I spend a lot of cognitive energy in the uncertainty. You know, it's very when you're just making decisions, making decisions, making decisions, and it's sort of just um this x one plus one equals two okay the decision is two the answer is two right nice but when you know when I'm rounding as a registrar it's those moments where I have to stop and I have to get myself into a different mode and start to go into this juggling um juggling weighing suddenly bringing in multiple different data points multiple different considerations that is very taxing 
cognitively for me. And again, if it's taxing cognitively, it's taking up your energy stores. Your brain doesn't just use energy in some vacuum. Your brain uses the same energy stores as the rest of your body. So that is going to tire you out. So definitely um, uncertainty feels when there's uncertainty and I need to work something out or gather more information or learn something new in my clinical decision-making, that definitely feels different. It feels like it takes more energy out of me. So I would 100% say that we need to consider that in our clinical work and sure in in lots of other professions, there is uncertainty in decision-making. But I'd like to highlight that in clinical work, because so, so important to our work is that we're taking patients on a case-by-case basis. And certainly as um, somebody who takes care of the whole patient, who cares about the whole patient, we have so many um, different considerations on a patient-by-patient basis. So I think uncertainty happens highly frequently in our jobs as clinicians. And I'd really like us to take that into account when we're judging how sitting at a desk or circling around a ward, doing a round can take so much energy from us. And I think a factor in that is uncertainty. So thank you for bringing that up in the clinical decision-making and the clinical work we do. I also want to highlight high stakes decision-making as another element of clinical decision-making. Another reason why clinical work can be more draining than doing, say, another standard um, eight to five job in another profession. So as you refer to with your blood pressure med example, it's not that we're necessarily making high stakes decisions in terms of life or death every day, hopefully not. But if you are truly patient-centered and you're truly recognizing what's important to the patient, like in your example, you are very concerned with how certain side effects might affect your patient. And in that way, all of the decisions or most of the decisions we make are high stakes in that case. We are aware that the decisions we make, even between one blood pressure medication and another one, could potentially affect the patient in a big way. They're not necessarily going to die, although you might be aware that your choice might actually make that difference in some cases with people. But it is a high stakes decision if it's going to affect the patient potentially in a good or bad way. And if that's something that it's important to you. So I actually think that we underestimate how many high stakes decisions we make in a clinical day in that way. And when when we take into account that a high stakes decision is just we're aware that this will really affect the patient one way or another. And I think that that is something that would drain my energy. What do you think about high stakes decisions in that context? 100%. 100%. And it is, you know, like I've obviously there's a full spectrum from that little granular stuff way up to like true life or death. Like I could not agree more with you. It definitely, um, yeah. And, and I think it's so beautiful to bring our attention to it because I think it's obvious like doctors do that, right? But when you are a doctor and you're just going about your day, you're just doing your job. And then you kind of lose sight of what you're doing is kind of unpacking the complexity of clinical work it's like an art and a science and it is taking lots of different cognitive processes bringing in problem solving maybe some new stuff maybe and the patient is never 
it's never really a textbook case. There's always something unique. There's always, you know, there's always a bit of a learning curve in the day as well. You're always learning something new, always gaining experience. So I don't think we're ever fully in our comfort zone. I, I mean, maybe some people are. There's definitely days when I'm well and truly in my comfort zone. Like it's, it's things are easy. There are days like that. And I guess it's also be worthwhile to point that out that I know there's a better way. I know there are definitely clinics that I've gone to start high vibe, high vibe the whole way through, feel like I'm really making a difference in the world and end high vibe. I might be a little bit tired, but I'm like, I'm going to bed at night and I'm putting my head on the pillow being like, that was a great day. I helped so-and-so and so-and-so. There's that, that actually exists. And I can see that that exists, but that feels like the outlier. <laughs> and and there's certain clinics for that. I can also tell you what clinics that happen in and why it happens there. And then there are other clinics that are just like, I, I'm feeling are just designed to destroy me. And, <laughs> and it's... And I think the key is sort of almost disconnecting from that. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the reward system. So I was thinking about this yesterday as I was thinking about my energy in general. And there are definitely like, I think most people now, maybe not, maybe not. And I feel bad if patients are listening to this, but I'm just going to be really honest and say, I don't get up and be like, oh, I can't wait to do my clinic today. And I don't know if anyone ever does. Although I can have a good experience. I feel like when I go to clinic, I'm like, oh, it's clinic, right? Oh, right. There's that, there's that feeling. It's a bit like going to the gym or something or hard exercise or something. I get the same kind of feeling. But when you do go to the gym or do exercise or something, you usually get a reward, like things that I dread, those various things that I dread doing. And then when I do them, I get a reward at the end. I get a good feeling. I get a good vibe. There's a, there's always something positive that reinforces my behavior. Whereas with clinic, <laughs> there's no guarantees. And more often than not, the reward is not, lately it's not there. Lately it's not there. And, and so it's kind of, I feel like there's a danger in that as well there's a danger in not enjoying the work and I guess maybe it's pie in the sky stuff maybe it's unrealistic to enjoy the work but because I do other work as well that's not clinical I know that I can be happy all day at work <laughs> do you know what I mean and it's just there's a special thing about clinical work I don't quite have the same control over I don't have control over how I feel and my energy and I don't know how to fix it so I guess that reward some that reward pathway or the absence of a reward pathway is also something that I'm tuning into just now because I think I need to be aware of that in order to uh maybe maybe change how I'm showing up or what would you do you have any sort of um anything to say on that aspect like the re the reward pathway and how we can be more fulfilled at work I guess mm, I'm just thinking about recently where I had a flip in energy from one way to the other from what you had you came into to work and you're a high and then you walked out of work five hours later and you were deflated and I was just thinking about when you said reward the last time I felt rewarded by work was when I was I had two palliative patients on the ward and I'm, I'm not working as a palliative care registrar, but that's just how it went. And I had two very grateful families and I had two very grateful. These are actually people who I was asked to consult on these teams. And so I had two very grateful, well, one actually very grateful junior doctor for me coming in to help. And that was my reward in that case. It was, it changed my energy when the families were grateful and then this other junior doctor was so grateful. And I 
I noticed the change in my energy. It really affected me when I had such a simple thing, which was a a very sincere thank you. And it really did affect me. And I mean, there's lots of different directions we could take this in terms of how we could um, create more rewards in our work because it's beautiful when you get those opportunities, when you are in those situations where your patients sincerely thank you. And I know you've actually told me about certain situations like this where you've had patients thank you and you've been flying high after that because that is so rewarding to us as doctors it's always all we want really isn't it to know that the work that we've done has actually affected these people in a positive way that's that's all we want and actually certainly my experience has been it's quite rare that you get such a sincere thank you and it's a wonderful thing when I get it but it's not a great system for me to rely on getting a sincere thank you for me to feel rewarded by my work just because the frequency isn't high enough to help me sustain my energy. I need to choose something else or I need to change the way that I think. I need to change my goals, my expectations if I want to create more rewards in my work in order to give myself more energy and enjoyment from my work. So I actually think that this lack of rewards that you've brought up is our third um, reason why clinical work can be so draining is so important. I actually think that it's one of the key factors in burnout. That is one of the reasons why so many doctors are feeling so burnout. And this is just my theory. And this is just my coming from my experience largely with coaching doctors and being able to have the privilege of being you know inside the minds of these brilliant conscientious doctors and for 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 all of my clients they oh they have similar patterns of thinking to me they just they're willing to work hard like the hard work's not an issue the hard work's not stopping them the hard work's not going to be the thing that has them stay or leave it's not the decider but to work hard and to not know that that hard work is translating into something that matters. In the case of my doctor clients, it's the patients getting a good result and the patients actually appreciating it because it matters to them. That's that's the reward that makes all the hard work worth it. It's also ironically the award the reward that, as you're saying, fills up our energy stores again and gives us more energy to work hard again. So I think that's very, um, I think rewards are highly underrated. I think we think about it as like us needing to like puff ourselves up or give ourselves a pat on the back or think a lot of ourselves or, you know, indulge in almost, you know, bragging about ourselves or thinking too much of ourselves but when we recognize the the rewards that we are really seeking that a lot of us are really seeking is just knowing it's just having some evidence that the work we do in our clinical work actually helps our patients they actually appreciate it that it actually made a difference to them I think that understanding could really help us create more energy in our clinical days I'm just thinking this is a little side note I'm just thinking about my very human behavior that I've installed that I just realized I'd installed 
is my reward pathway is after the all day clinic is the vending machine. Does anyone else do this when they're like, do you know, I need some traffic jam snacks. And you're like, and you know what? It can be fattening and sugary. That's fine. That is <laughs> Peanut M&Ms are my ultimate reward. <laughs> I think I'm doing that. I'm like, how do I feel better? Give me some dopamine. Peanut M&Ms. We need it, don't we? We actually need it. It's like the gym example is a great example. Like after you do something hard, it's actually to, to match that with a reward at the end. It, I don't know if it's just this like sense of fairness that we have in our mind. Like I need to match this hard work with a reward, but it's also like um, it's something, it just doesn't feel right when you do the right thing and it's not met with a result where you put in effort and it's not actually met with a change. I think it's, it's something that is in itself really defeating and deflating, like for me to, to end a day and feel completely emptied and exhausted and yet think about that day as I didn't achieve anything. I didn't do anything that important. It's that, that in itself is so deflating. And, and that's really the reason why we're, we wanted to talk about this today, because I think what, what we see happening is a lot of people do underestimate a, how much energy and the specific challenges, well, how much energy it takes to do this clinical work and the specific energy that is required to do this work that may be different from a lot of other professions. And also that when you think about your clinical work in the way of, well, if I can't do it enough, I feel so exhausted at the end of the day, then there must be something wrong with me. Well, if everybody else seems to be coping with this system and um, they don't apparently look so exhausted, then there must be something wrong with me. If I'm falling behind in, in clinic when the blocks were set to 15 minutes, I don't care what the EGFRs are. If I'm behind, there must be something wrong with me, right? And I think that's the thinking that's very easy for us to fall into without even realizing. They're just the, these automatic conclusions we draw. If I'm not coping, there's something wrong with me. And this might be a very appropriate time to just insert the burnout statistics and say that just a little reminder that most people in medicine aren't actually coping with this very well. Mm. But do you know what, on top of that though, because I think there is that you can have those kind of self-loathing kind of road to nowhere sort of thoughts that I'm very guilty of. But like, for example, yesterday, my thoughts when I started to unpack them about my performance, I wasn't actually, even though I can see that kind of it was an impossible task for me personally, it just the kind of care that I want to provide and the value system I have, it was not going to be anything else but what it was. But equally, I wasn't impressed with my performance. Like there is still this big part of me that wants to be able to see patients really, really quickly and keep up with the system. And there's still this part of me that's, so I'm kind of in this thing where I'm kind of like, well, I think the system could change to expand a little bit here, but I think, you know, there are changes that I could make the next time I'm in a clinic like that to make it different. And I I don't think that, um because I, I don't want to say that we can't take ownership for our own performance, but I'm also very conscious of there's definitely a, a layer of some kind of perfectionistic um, high achiever who's not who's feeling like they failed in the afternoon. And it's kind of, I think it's tricky to find the balance. Could you um, sort of speak to that, Beck, in terms of where does self-reflection and working on your own performance and getting better at what you do, 
where is the line between that and sort of just downing on yourself for no reason? So you're working in the system. And as you say, there the system is what it is in a way. And another way, it has some capacity to change. You know, you already told me that <laughs> you have um, taken steps to make sure that these 15-minute appointments for these particular patients don't happen again. <laughs> you haven't gone so far as to say, you're like, one end of the spectrum, the other way. You're like, well, that's the system. It is what it is. I just have to, like, deal with it. Things are going to go wrong all the time. You've taken an empowered approach to say, well, what can I change here? What realistically will change how much energy am I willing to invest in that change ah it's not going to take that much energy from me it's not going to steal that much from me to make to request these changes in the clinic yet it will make a big difference for me so I think you struck a nice balance of recognizing the system is bigger than you and you only have so much ability to make changes in the system yet taking control of what you can change in the system and not just writing it all off and saying, well, it is what it is, it's nothing I do. So then when it comes to how you're treating yourself essentially with, so you, you've looked at the circumstance and decided what you wanted to change about the circumstance. You've taken some action to make the system change in a way to what extent it can. Now you're left with all these thoughts that we saw kind of like prop up over the day, even as you were telling your story about yourself and about what was happening around you. And some of these thoughts are highly informative. Some of these thoughts will guide you towards, as you're saying, what's in your integrity. You know, you recognizing that there was one part of you that was saying, I want to meet this time, so I'd like to go faster. So one part of you. Another part of you was like, it is not ethically okay with me. This is below my standard of practice to not spend more time with these people then you have this difficult decision of like trying to juggle between these two parts of you that actually want conflicting things. And after that, you made that decision for the day. After that, you can have all these thoughts about the decision you made. You can have all these thoughts about how you handled it. Some of those thoughts are going to be useful thoughts in the sense that they will direct you into how you want to be different next time. Some of those thoughts are going to be downright nasty awful, ugly, perfectionistic, highly critical and pessimistic thoughts. And it's our job to sift apart, separate out what, which thoughts go into which category here. Because we don't want to lose all of those good constructive thoughts that tell us about our integrity and our values and what matters to us amongst and just throw them all out with all the, the other more negative, non-useful thoughts. But we also don't want to be looking into our thoughts and get completely swept up with all the negativity. So getting these thoughts either out on paper or out with a trusted friend, family member, colleague, if you have that, that safe space, but getting those thoughts out of your head into the real world or onto a piece of paper so you can separate out what they are. When you do this, you give yourself the opportunity to see the thoughts for what they are and more as thoughts and less as yourself being in the story of them. Because when they're just in your head and you're in the story of them, it's hard to work out which thoughts go into which category. They all kind of seem true at the time. If you have one thought that says, um, I, I must spend longer with, um, I should have spent longer with, patient four. And then the next thought was, I'm such a terrible doctor. 
if you juxtapose that reasonable sounding thought or that actual potentially useful thought over here, I wanted to spend more time with this patient, with this highly overgeneralized catastrophic thought, the catastrophic thought can seem more reasonable when it's placed next to, juxtaposed with, an actual reasonable thought, an actual useful thought. They can all just get meshed up together. So all of this to say, when you have a day that's highly charged, when you have a day when you're having a lot of thoughts and you feel like there's a lot of negative thoughts, I want you guys to be able to get these thoughts out of your brain and either into the world as spoken word or probably more useful onto paper. So you can start to make that separation. Yeah, I love that. And I think it is it is beautiful because I was thinking about how like in terms of going back into clinic and things that don't or the clinical setting for for anyone who's listening it is important to be performing well like as in to feel like you are personally performing well I think that's part of our well-being because it feels good to be thriving and so I think if we can reflect on our own performance so that we can make sure that we are growing as doctors getting better as doctors like I think that's part of a healthy behavior but I also just wanted to make the point that if you are someone who can see things in a system and you feel that you can affect change you might think that that's being inflammatory or disruptive but I'm I want to sort of tell you that it's actually innovation and when it comes to job interviews and things like that if you're asked for an example of leadership or I mean innovation is leadership you can give examples of oh I had this clinic one day and xyz systemic issues were happening and this was causing a problem you know the whole star method of the thing and then you can put yourself as the hero in the story and say and so I actioned this this and this and this and then this was the outcome like actually making that change in the clinical space of your own accord is something that will be applauded and recognized. So I don't want anyone listening to thinking, oh, oh my God, I don't want to, you know, sort of um, stir the pot here because actually it's, it's a sign of maturity and personal development. And people want to hire people who, who are innovative and who can make the system better. Like that it actually gives you an edge. And so of course there's like limits to that. Like you, you don't want to be complaining about stuff, but if you're able to affect productive change and show that that made an impact and changed the hospital or people's day, or there was less overtime or the, someone was the, the workforce was happier, all of that stuff's actually a really good thing. And so I just wanted to sort of float that as a concept as well, that, you know, making these changes, reflect on these changes, your own performance and the system, and then working to make the change. I think you will feel happier as you see the change evolve in front of you. You'll feel more in control of your your life and, and how you're showing up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good example too of, you know, you, you think about me like I've, I've recognized that these sessions should be longer. And if you have, if you believe those thoughts in your mind of I should be faster, I'm going too slow, I'm not keeping up, I'm not a good doctor, then you won't, that's what you'll think that the problem is you. You think you you won't recognize that that appointment time is actually inappropriate. Whereas if you can do what Christine did and separate out what are those thoughts that are actually just automatic, non-useful, untrue thoughts versus what are the thoughts that are in my integrity? Then when you're the person who says, I may, I, I, or makes the suggestion, gets the ball rolling on this clinic having increased times, and you're very clear about why, because you've gotten in touch with your integrity, you've gotten in touch with what matters to you, because these patients need this much time for this, 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 and that constitutes good care, then 
that change is more likely to be accepted and move forwards with versus if you're just coming from the place of, well, I'm, I might be slow and I'm not a very good doctor and um, I'm probably the problem. You're not even going to see that that system change that you're recognizing is even something that's worth pushing forwards. Yeah, it's such a good point. I think it's just such a really great conversation to have today because I can just imagine, I don't, sometimes when you're going through it, you feel like you are the only one. You're like, you know, especially if you bump into like someone who's annoyingly positive after your horrible day, you're like, why are you happy? Like you can feel like there is something very, very wrong. But I don't think that we're the only people who are exhausted by clinical work. I just want to sort of normalize that and say the unsaid. And there it is. It is exhausting. And it doesn't have to be is the thing. We've both had days and I'm sure you have too. um, You've had days where you're lit up by clinical practice. And I guess I think the only way to, I guess, explore whether we can make that more consistent is to keep reflecting on everything we've spoken about today and see where See where you fit uniquely in medicine, understand your strengths, understand where the system and you aren't gelling. And I would like to think that we will be able to uh, make change as we go through. And especially as you you come up into leadership positions in your career where you do feel self-assured and you do feel that you have power to make change. Um, I really think that, that it's not the whole answer. You're still going to have bad days. You're going to have good days. But I think the worst thing that I worry about is, and it happens to me not infrequently, is that question of, do I want to be a doctor? And I think that comes up, that feels like the easy out, right? When you're feeling like this, you start to think, is this for me? Is this career for me? And what a horrible, what a shame it would be to lose you, to lose beautiful doctors, doctor humans who are exactly what patients need because of this kind of this tension we have between our own abilities and the system and something that created a bad day so I think it's just great to have that front of mind because it it can be so easy to arrive at the conclusion that you don't like medicine you don't want to be a doctor when actually there's so much more to the to the story Mm, that's so beautiful I couldn't agree more and we should do another episode coming up soon on what you can do looking at the things that are in your control to give yourself more energy and to protect the energy that you have to have things not take so many withdrawals from your energy bank and for things to give you things or working out what things you can do to give you more deposits into your energy bank too but we just wanted to talk about today you know clinical work is actually special guys and you're not crazy or there's nothing wrong with you if you find this work exhausting as we've talked about we've got those three reasons uncertainty high stakes high stakes decisions and a lack of rewards in most of our clinical work that makes it Uh, more on the withdrawal side rather than on the deposit side in terms of energy. So my beautiful friends, thank you so much for joining in. We so appreciate you coming here every week to come and hang out with us. And please bring the comments, bring your experiences, bring your questions to us and bring any topics that you'd like for us to talk about because we just want to hear from you. Thank you guys so much for joining us again and we'll see you soon. Enough.